Fewer things are more disruptive to our lives than being in pain. We all experience pain at times, but parents of children who experience chronic pain often struggle to understand the causes, find answers, and get their children help. Hello, I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan. On this edition of Pediatric Chat, we'll talk about children with chronic pain and the challenges both they and their parents face. We'll also hear from a mother whose child has experienced chronic pain and discover what they've been able to do about it. If you have a question about chronic pain, we encourage you to send it to us through the question portal on our webpage so that we can review it and post a follow-up response. Joining me today is my co-host, Carl Gartner, who is Vice Chairman of Pediatrics at the Nemours Alphadi DuPont Hospital for Children. Welcome, Carl. Glad to be here. Thanks, Jay. Also joining us today is Dr. Paul Rosen. Dr. Rosen is a pediatric rheumatologist at the Nemours Alphadi DuPont Hospital for Children, and he specializes in children with pain. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Jay. So pain in children, kids are not supposed to have pain. How common is this? Over the last several years, we're seeing more and more children come in to our practice with body pain, pain in one part of a foot or a hand. And there have been reports that say that up to one in four children will get some kind of pain syndrome during childhood. So what does that mean, a pain syndrome? Pain anywhere? Right. So a pain syndrome is a term that could mean chronic headaches, chronic stomach pain, chronic joint and muscle pain. It's really pain anywhere in the body that's sort of an ongoing nature. And so if my kid would have pain in their head or pain in their belly or pain in their back, like you're talking about, uh, I typically think in a kid especially that this is sort of from something wrong. I'd want some sort of test to see what's going on with the head for the headache. Right. I mean, what typically happens is if a child has pain, usually parents will wait a couple of days, maybe treat it at home. If it's a headache, give some medication, see what happens. And then if it persists, then they go to their family doctor or their pediatrician to investigate further. And if the pain persists and there's no clear reason, then they may end up in a subspecialty office like rheumatology for joint pain, neurology for headache, or one of the diagnostic pediatricians. So you're a rheumatologist, pediatric rheumatologist. What do you do? What does that mean? It's basically a pediatrician who specializes in children with joint problems. We see a lot of children with arthritis and other autoimmune diseases. But what can also happen is children without arthritis can also develop joint pain. So how did you get interested in treating this? I think just from the clinical practice, actually more of our children come in with just sort of chronic pain. And when you do their checkup, they don't have any signs of arthritis. So just a typical scenario is a lot of these kids would go to the pediatrician and have something that they want to see a specialist about and you just happen to be the one they pick? Well, uh, what may happen is they'll go to their pediatrician for evaluation and if the checkup is normal and that sometimes there's an x-ray or blood work and if that's normal, so the question is, well, what's, what's behind this pain? If you've got the checkup normal, the testing normal, what's going on? So if the kids that come to you for pain, how often is it, or all the tests normal? Well, if we're talking about arthritis, actually, you know, we, we go by the checkup. So if a child comes in with a big swollen uh, knee with fluid on the knee, then that would be arthritis. And in kids, actually, we rely more on the checkup than the blood work, hmm. uh, as you would in adults. And then if a child comes in with pain and they don't have joint swelling and there's no injury and their muscle strength is normal, but they just have this severe sort of body ache, and everything looks healthy, then it raises the question, is there sort of a pain syndrome going on? 
And of all the pain syndromes you see, what's the most common symptom that brings them to you? Really, uh, we see children who come in with uh, severe pain in one part of the body. So we might have a child with, let's say, severe foot pain, and they can't walk, and maybe they're seen by an orthopedist, and the x-ray is normal and the MRI is normal, but you touch their foot and the child jumps off the table and reports that their pain is nine out of 10 on a pain scale and they're crying in pain. So that's one example. We also have some children who, who just say everything hurts. Where does it hurt? It hurts everywhere from head to toe, uh, all my joints, all my muscles, I'm fatigued. So we see different presentations in different children. And do you see them change the presentation? So they've had that horrible foot pain and there's no diagnosis and then that gets better and then something else comes up? That can happen. I mean, we have overlap where maybe they come in with pain in one part of the body and then it spreads or they have pain in a joint and then they develop headaches later and this can evolve over time. So this is really news to me, Carl. <laughs> well, uh, Paul is a rheumatologist and, and we've talked about this quite a bit. What he tends to see is uh, musculoskeletal pain. But if you look at what we in the diagnostic clinic, we see some of that. We share those patients with Paul trying to figure out how to help. But we also see children with chronic disabling abdominal pain. Uh, if you go to neurology clinic here, there are children who have disabling headache pain. Some have migraines, some do not. And if you actually go to all of our, as you know, Jay, you go to all our specialty clinics, cardiology, the second most common reason for them to see a patient is chronic chest pain. And then if you go to physical medicine rehabilitation, they see some of the same patients that Paul sees. So it's a, it's a really common problem in pediatrics, a very vexing problem. And actually, as Paul knows, uh, last summer there was a paper in our major journal saying that over the last 10 years or so, there's been an 800% increase mm. in patients admitted to children's hospitals with, uh, cr with chronic pain. So we're, we're all trying to come up with an approach that helps these children. So what causes chronic pain? The children we see, when we ask them about the history, a lot of times the pain may start after an injury. So they sprain their ankle in gymnastics, or maybe they were sick, uh, maybe they had a surgery, or, or were in a car accident, and then they, their body heals from that injury, but then the pain persists. Other patients we talk to, there may be something bothering them on an emotional level, a death in the family, they're getting bullied in school. That can trigger the pain, and then some children, we can't identify what the trigger is. Do we have a name for this? It's a little bit confusing because different folks call it different names. And when we talk about chronic pain, a term that comes to mind is something called fibromyalgia, which is uh, it's common in adults. Some people like to use that term in, in pediatrics. Some people avoid it. Fibromyalgia is chronic pain, chronic fatigue, and, and sleep disorder. Other people call this uh, reflex neurovascular dystrophy. Uh, other people call it RSD. Other people call it myofascial pain syndrome. So it's very confusing because there's a different name depending on which hospital you go to or which doctor you work with. So you see these kids with some chronic pain. It sounds to me like it's not organic. So what is it? What is causing this? Well, these pain syndromes are not completely understood. We think there's some kind of interaction between the mind and the body affecting the nerves and the blood flow. And about half these kids we see may have changes in blood flow where their foot maybe feels cool to touch or it changes color because of changes in blood flow. But the actual mechanism is not clearly understood. 
We do know that the children report that their pain levels go up when their stress levels go up. So we talk to them and try and get a sense of what their stress is and work on lowering that. So it's safe to say that, is it safe to say, that um, we're talking about something that is common, but most people don't view it as common. So that they may have their child with a pain and they're just sure the doctors haven't figured out what it is yet, but it's this. Right. I mean, these pain syndromes can be underdiagnosed because, again, we don't understand them very well. And it's just not really widely known that there's so many children with chronic pain. And again, we always want to make sure we're not missing something else. So, you know, is it a fracture? Is it arthritis? And as a parent, when your child is screaming in pain, I mean, you're obviously thinking the worst, you know, does my child have cancer or, or some horrible disease? So we want to go through the medical evaluation to make sure there's nothing else going on. And But there's always that one more test to do. Well, Carl, I think Carl can yeah. speak to that. Yeah, I think that's the real rub. Um, there's so much more we can do. I've been doing... I've been a physician for almost 45 years, and there are many, many more tests now than there were when I started. And um, the problem is, at some point you have to say, we have done enough testing. We don't want to do any harm by our testing. And um, trying to form a bond with the parents that they believe we've investigated carefully enough the child has real pain. The question is whether there's something surgical or medical that we can do to make that pain go away. And we'll talk later, I think, as Paul knows, about various things that can help. And I'm reminded in your question of how frequent it is. It's pretty frequent. Mm -hmm. What I tend to see, as opposed to Paul, I tend to see children with chronic abdominal pain, which has already been investigated by a gastroenterologist with scoping and careful testing. And, and the child really has pain. And there's some, there's some literature that suggests that those patients actually have because of their chronic pain, they have a reduced threshold. They may feel things that someone else in their stomach might not feel, but there's nothing there you can mm -hmm. cut out. And our goal is to try to get the workup completed and then stop doing anything that could be risky for the child and try to help them. And that's what we end up doing in our practice. Yeah, so I imagine these kids are often bouncing around from specialist to specialist yeah. and hospital to hospital and get repeat testing. You see that a lot probably, right? That's right. I mean, there's, there's opportunity to consolidate. We get a lot of kids followed by six or seven specialties. You know, they go to neurology for their headache and rheumatology for their joint pain. And, mm -hmm. and really there's opportunity to consolidate that treatment. So uh, a great topic and something that I'm going to learn a lot from. And we've brought in today an expert in the field, um, Kim. Kim joins us and she's a mom. And I know this is something that a lot of moms are worried about and want to hear more on. And Kim, you've had firsthand experience. And so can you tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. Thank you for having me. I have a eight-year-old daughter. I don't know exactly when her pain started, but I'll back up as far as I can remember. She had abdominal pain maybe when she was five. We saw specialists here at AI, um, did ultrasounds, and there was nothing. Celiacs testing, extensive blood work. Last year, she started getting migraines. We came to the ER three times for these headaches that I couldn't get a, have gone in a 24-hour period. Uh, so then we were referred to neurology, um, where fortunately after MRIs and some more blood work, they didn't find anything. So in the summertime, we had a follow-up at neurology, and she had woken up a week before and couldn't walk on her left ankle. So I gave it about 24 hours and went to the ER, and uh, nothing, nothing on the x-ray, nothing. So while we were in neurology, the um, nurse had said, well, let me see if somebody in rheumatology can come up and see Lawrence, and she clearly can't walk. 
So Dr. Rosen and I believe two um, interns came up and examined Lauren right there and then. And that was the first time, and it was in July, that I heard Dr. Rosen mention that this could be a possibility to me. And the truth be told, I walked out thinking, he is so wrong. There is no way my eight-year-old has chronic pain. She's not 80. She's eight. And that's how I left it, truth be told. <laughs> so her leg did eventually get better. And uh, came November 18th, she woke up on a Monday morning and couldn't walk on her right ankle. So went to, back to the pediatrician who had spoken to Dr. Rosen prior to this in the summer. And we ended up seeing Dr. Rosen again. And I was open to it and understood. And with this right ankle, we also had x-rays, MRIs, extensive blood work, and nothing was there. But she clearly couldn't walk. She had rug burns on her wrists and on her knees and her elbows. So finally, after seeing orthopedic and Dr. Rosen and our pediatrician, they kindly came to me and said that there's nothing showing. And Dr. Rosen explained what he thought it was again. And um, I had said enough, she needs to get, I need to treat this because this child is in pain and is hurting. So we've been under his care since November 18th. Wow, what a story. So Paul, what did you do? Um, <clears throat> you know, it, it, is, uh, it is sort of a team approach. Once, once we say, you know, we have a, we're dealing with a pain syndrome, we try and figure out what are the stress levels like? You know, how do we get this child back to school, back to walking and functioning again, really? So we really rely heavily on our physical therapy colleagues. And what they'll do is uh, they'll start with a child who can't walk and they'll sort of work on retraining the nerves in that area. So they may do um, some light rubbing of the skin, some stretching, some exercises, and get those nerves, try and get those nerves back into a normal pattern. So Kim, did you think it started with something medical? I'll give you a little bit of my daughter's personality because Dr. Rosen had talked about kids that get chronic pain with their leg. I don't know what caused it, um, but Lauren is very um, sensitive, loving, very bright, and also emotional. She internalizes a lot of things. So that's her personality part of it. Um, and she does get stressed easily, so we have to manage that. But when Lauren was three, she broke her right elbow, which actually she has pain in now, and had three pins put in, and she also broke both ankles. So whether it is a combination of personality trait combined with the fact that she has had severe pain in multiple body parts, I, you know, I don't know. I just trust that that's what it is. So one of the things, that Paul and I, and I would be interested in your thoughts, one of the things that I do diff very differently than I did as a young doc mm -hmm. is um, we talk to parents, we, we talk about helping the children mm -hmm. and never say to the mother, we'll, we'll get rid of all of your pain because that that's really not doesn't really work so what we try to what we try and I think Paul does the same things we try to get the pain reduced to the point that the child can function better and and that to me makes a lot more sense than when I was a young physician I thought well let's use this and that we want to make the pain go to zero and I what would you say about that do your mom talk about that Paul? well I, I, I can tell you when we have families come in they don't say, let's work on the function. They say, get rid of this pain. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. So I think on the medical side, we say, you know, let's get the child walking. Let's yeah. get the child back to sports. Yeah. Let's get the child back to school. So we do discuss a lot about function and how do we merge the family's needs, which is function and pain and our kind of focus on function. So we don't want to set up expectations that we can guarantee the pain's going to go to zero because it I may not. But uh, we definitely start with function. And as we work on function, I think a lot of times the pain does decline significantly. So were there medications involved with her treatment? No, Lauren 
is not on any medication. She's um, in daily physical therapy. She has healing touch therapy here at AI. She's in occupational therapy, and she sees a psychologist for stress management mm. and anxiety therapy. What does she know about what causes her pain? Lauren understands a lot, so we explain that it's the nerves and that um, with Lauren, her trigger, I believe, is stress. So we do focus on a lot of calming techniques for her and speak to her about the more calm you are and the more you can control that, your pain might get less from that. Um, so we do speak yeah. to her about it. Okay, that's great. Mm -hmm. And you've, you, you mentioned healing touch. Mm -hmm. What is that? So healing touch is absolutely fabulous part of Lauren's um, therapies. She meets with a woman here at AI. Her name is Wally. And she goes into her office and um, she basically reads her energy levels throughout her body. And it's amazing. I can see sitting in the chair when her right ankle is off on the energy level and when it's not. And she does her her therapy where she basically gets all the energy in alignment again so that it's flowing naturally and there's no open holes in any parts of her energy circle, if you will. That's what I've learned from it. Wow. And it's been great. Paul? Sounds like real, real medicine to me, right? I think in this area, we kind of have our standard therapies and then we have integrative medicine or alternative therapies. And I think this is an area where we probably don't have a deep scientific understanding, but when families find benefit from it and the children have a belief system that whether it's healing touch or pet therapy or music therapy that reduces their stress level, reduces their pain level, then we're going to go with that. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, seeing this at Nemours a lot, it's magical. And that's about the best I can say. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have full understanding of the physiology, but that's okay because it seems to be working. So you're not alone, yeah. Kim, in this praise of these alternative therapies that we're really fully embracing in medicine. And that's new, Carl. We didn't used to do that a couple years no, ago. No, I, I think whatever works for the family is what we should use. Aqua therapy, some patients mm -hmm. respond to music and do much better. Their stress level comes down and their pain level goes down. I think we should use whatever is safe and whatever works for that family. And our, one of our goals in our program is to find out what works for each individual patient. Some things do for certain things and some things don't. I just wanted to make a comment. You, you showed a lot of insight, which is we struggle with uh, as clinicians. I put my clinician hat on again, and you said your daughter, you know, you recognize that she has stresses that can make the situation worse. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge help if a parent sees that because some we have struggle with some parents don't see that. We, we have trouble putting that into words. What would you say to other parents that helped you recognize you know your daughter better than any of us do? That's a huge insight. If, uh, Help that me helps. recognize Lauren's triggers? Yes. I think open communication and the closeness that I have with her really truly helps. I mean, I can see I'm with her all the time, so I can see when she gets anxious, and then I kind of, lo and behold, a few minutes later, something's hurting. Yeah. Um, Occupational therapy downstairs taught me also to track the pain, which I found very helpful as well. So you can kind of see throughout the day if school is a stressor, which it isn't for Lauren, but it could be for another child. Maybe they're getting pain in school. Or if bedtime is something that causes angst for children, maybe they're getting pain prior to bed. So actually having a calendar and charting the pain was also helpful. Great. We've seen a lot of parents, Kim, that say, you know, they have usually one specific pain, maybe headache. Mm -hmm. They've gone through all the medications. Nothing's working. They bounce around different hospitals, different MRIs and CT scans and testing. I guess to both of you, Paul and Kim, when do you sort of retreat into this diagnosis or is it a retreat? 
for us as a family, um, we trust it in Lauren's pediatrician, Dr. Gould, and then because he trusts so much into Dr. Rosen and we got to know Dr. Rosen, you just at some point for our family had to say, I'm not going to put her in another MRI. I'm not going to have another needle and draw blood. And once you get into the physical therapy aspect of it, it takes a little bit of time, but when you see it actually starting to work and the nerves must be getting retrained, then you, you know you made the right decision. And by the way, we've seen kids with horrible swollen feet, mm -hmm. blue, mm -hmm. cold. It's sort of not a physical problem with the foot, right? Well, it's physical in, in terms of you've got pain, you've got changes in blood flow. There's some what we may call a nerve sensitivity. So it is it is a physical problem, but it's this mind-body connection mm -hmm. that results in the pain syndrome. Mm. In our practice in rheumatology, what's interesting is a lot of families come in reporting that their children in the past have had a very high pain threshold. So I don't, I don't think it's children who have a low pain threshold who develop this. Because a lot of my patients, they come in and say, you know, they broke bones and they had very severe injuries and the, the kids didn't cry and they were fine. And then all of a sudden they're, they're incapacitated with this severe, you know, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 bur burning sharp pain. So do you think the nerves are just gone wild? That's what we think. I mean, we think there's some trigger that gets the nerves in this cycle. Uh, in this repetitive loop, and it's affected by stress and other things that are going on. So you said in your intro that one in four, one in five kids experience something like this during their their childhood lifetime till 18. And so the hospitals must be filled with kids with something like this that's getting worked up. Well, we know uh, there was a report uh, a year ago that stated that there are over 100 million adult Americans with chronic pain. And I don't think we know that number for children. Kim, you, su you suggested that she was in horrible pain, mm -hmm. but this is an outpatient treatment? This is outpatient. Yep. We come to AI every day, whether it's occupational therapy, physical therapy, yoga, healing touch. Mm. So it is outpatient. And then we do what we can at home to keep her moving. I'm not going to sound like a doctor when I say this, but it's like no pain, no gain. So you have to kind of push through it. So we also go for hikes if we can go that day, or we go to family swim. So at home, we're doing as much as we can as well. Has she been able to be in school during this time? No, she wasn't in school in the beginning for maybe almost a month. And then she would go for a half hour. And then we've got her to an hour. And now we're at four hours a day. And we're just going to keep progressing forward with that. And how's the school? They've been helping you with that? Absolutely fabulous. So we, um, I did research, and then Dr. Rosen helped me and attended a meeting, and we got a 504 plan for her. So um, lates and absences and things like that won't count against her, and wow. we get her work done at home or non-traditional times like the weekends if we need. That's great. Just make another comment. One of the things we found in trying to get the program a program like this started is mm -hmm. you, you really need a special cadre of physical and occupational mm -hmm. therapists because they're trained, and I'm, I'm not one, so I may make a mistake here, they're trained not to push patients that have some discomfort. But our people here know that if you have chronic pain that, that you need to get them moving again. Maybe you could comment on, on the people here that have they, oh. they pushed her a little bit and that, that has to happen, unfortunately, to sort of get things moving again. Absolutely. So they push Lauren and they educate Lauren in an eight-year-old conversation about why we have to get pushed. And then when Lauren's warming up, they spoke to me in the beginning about it and educated me on it, that you do have to move, even if it hurts to take a step, you have to do that step because you're going to tell your nerves, if you don't, oh, I'm not doing this, and then they're just, it's just going to reside in intense pain. So yes, it's fabulous. This must have been a struggle for you for, for how, how long were you going through these 
cycles of pain? I would say probably if I had to really look back, maybe three years with yeah, different right. parts of the body. Wow. So this must be a good ending so far. So far, it's great. Like, yeah, yeah. we're. I feel relieved for her that she's finally seeing some relief. And the family. I mean, part of the uh, plan that Dr. Rosen spoke to us about was um, family therapy. We don't participate in that just because we get some of that with Lawrence therapy. But I ca- could see how that would be um, a very important part of it to a family. Because when you have a child in intense pain, it's stressful on the family in itself. Does she have a brother or sister? She does. She has a four-year-old brother. And uh, how's he doing with this? Um, fortunately, my son is very laid back and easygoing and can just brush anything off. So he does that, fortunately. We have adjusted a little bit for him where maybe we go outside and play more often than we would or we talk to him a little bit about mm. it if, if he can. But I, I would have to say it would be a little hard on him to see his sister screaming in pain. Paul, is there a profile for kids with chronic pain? We don't like the stereotype, and like Carl said, every child is different. But what's reported in the literature is it's typically girls more than boys. A lot of the girls uh, have a personality where they are um, maybe perfectionistic. Uh, Maybe they're straight-A students. They have a 4.0 GPA. Uh, High-performing students, high-performing athletes. Like Kim said, maybe they keep their emotions inside. So every child is different, but um, that's some of the sort of personality patterns that are reported. I was going to comment that there is a, a, a big study that was published again that recently about what happens. I'm thinking about stomach pain. Your daughter mm-hmm. had several different kinds of pain, but what I tend to see is chronic, difficult to manage uh, uh, stomach pain that when you, people carefully at Vanderbilt looked at the group of patients and followed them way out for uh, more than 10 years often, and they found that they tend to have more anxiety. So what I try to say to the families, we gotta manage that as well as the pain. We gotta work on that piece because we now know from a really well-controlled study that that's part of this. And so in the past, we tended to manage and diagnose and work the pain up and do more and more tests, forgetting about the fact that we also needed to manage the whole patient. And so that's changed my management style a little bit. And um, my experience, Kim, is that people are looking for a treatment that's sort of a classic medical treatment, a medicine, when they come to the hospital or see their doctor. Mm-hmm. And that's not what's worked here. Um, was she on medications at some point for pain? Just Motrin, Motrin. but no. Yeah. And did, by the way, did the Motrin seem to help? Mm, probably not, now that I look back. <laughs> Is there a role for medication in, in this? You'll get different opinions from different people. I mean, in my experience, most of the kids we've had with this report that medicine either has no effect or a minimal effect. Mm. I know my, some of my colleagues do try medicines to see see if it has any benefit. But in my experience, I've seen kids on, you know, Neurontin, Vicodin, uh, morphine, and, um, they're, and, and I'm sure Carl's seen this too. They're, they're in the hospital getting IV pain medicine and their pain is still a 10 out of 10. So one of the features that makes you think about a pain syndrome is they're, they're heavily medicated and their pain's not getting better. I agree. That when you when you have a patient, you try the strongest medications, and they say they're not getting any relief. Then you begin to think that their nerves, this is not affecting the their, whatever their feedback loop is, and try to get them off medication if you can, because other modalities of treatment actually seem to work better. You made that step early, but some parents, it's very hard for us to to not use more medication. Uh, People, the Kims of the world must be coming looking for a medication. Is that what you're? 
common experiences that are coming for the magic bullet? I mean, I'll, I'll let Kim speak for herself. I think a lot of parents are looking to get their child better. And whether that's through medicine or I think parents want to do what works, whatever modality that is. Mm -hmm. So they're looking for a diagnosis. They're looking for a treatment plan. And, uh, you know, parents, obviously, you know, we're all parents. We'll, we'll do whatever we need to do for our kids. It is not widely recognized. There are some programs that specialize uh, in children with chronic pain, and they use a lot of physical therapy and a lot of um, stress reduction techniques. But some of those programs have waiting lists, or they're in certain parts of the country, not others. So it can be a real struggle uh, to get a diagnosis and to get treatment for your child mm. um, fast. What's the usual course once you get into the program? Does it last? Well, there's different reports on this, and, and some reports say that if you're in an intensive program and you do a lot of intensive physical therapy and counseling, that you'll be back to function and major improvement in pain uh, the majority of the time. Uh, other reports say that there's more recurrences and that it's less effective. So there's still more information coming out on this. So I guess getting to the crux of it, when should parents think that this is going on, seek help from a specialist like you, I get called in my role all the time from people that have been to one hospital or the other and they're not getting the answer they seek almost always for pain. How do we stop the madness? Well, I think one thing is just making people aware. And I remember, um, you know, I was giving a talk about this a couple of years ago to the um, school nurses for the state of Pennsylvania. And there were 50 nurses and I asked them, how many of you see children coming to your school nurse office with this situation? And all, all of them raised their hand. So I think those of us in medicine and nursing have an awareness, but making families aware that this is a possibility will help lead a faster diagnosis as well. Kim, any thoughts on when you, sh you would have sought Dr. Rosen? No, I mean, I can't answer that for other families. For us, I just was between her pediatrician and Dr. Rosen where we had to put the trust in them and also to help Lauren yeah. is when we finally came to the, or I should say, I finally believe Dr. Rosen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point in terms of, I think, you know, with Carl and I, we, we always try and just figure out where the family is. So, you know, if we have a, a patient come into our office who is a straight-A student, you know, is a perfectionist, has severe pain, and, and their checkup is normal, and maybe we're thinking, oh, maybe this looks like a pain syndrome. Is, is the family thinking this is cancer or this is, this is something else, or do they want more testing? I think what we try and do is we try and just understand where the family is. And I would just echo that. I think it, if we need to partner with the family, and if the family has us, I always ask, and I'm sure you do, Paul, uh, is there anything specific you are worried about? And once in a while you have a par parent say, I'm really worried that this is cancer, or as you know, a parent will say, I'm worried that this is lupus. And we need to be able to address that issue and have the parent get to the point that either we, we've made the diagnosis of lupus or we've made a diagnosis of chronic pain, and the parent is then comfortable, we've done enough to say that the child doesn't have that, and we can move to the next step. But that takes, sometimes you have to get an opinion from somewhere else. I've sent patients, and I'm sure you have, to other places to get a second opinion. If they agree with us, and the parent sees then that we were, we were on the same track as another institution with the careful evaluation, then they're more than willing, perhaps, to get into a, a pain management program. And I also say that, you know, as a parent, you know, you do believe still that kids have pain for medical reasons and not other reasons, maybe sleep, um, et cetera, but not just because, right? And so this is a sort of just because. It's, it's sort of mysterious. We don't understand. It's in their head thing. 
Well, no, I mean, it's like Carl said, it's not in their head. No. Um, it's it's real pain. And you really need to take that full history, you know, like Carl and I do, and, and, and ask, well, what else is going on? Do they have headaches? Do they have chest pain? Do they have stomach pain? Mm-hmm. How's their sleep? Are they nervous? And you really have to get the whole picture. And then, again, with the physical exam, if the physical exam is normal, you kind of get that sense that maybe we're dealing with something like this. So I do think it's a huge take-home message for all the families out there, right, Kim, that this exists. People don't even know it exists. If you have a headache, it's got to be something wrong with your head. And it sounds like what you're saying, Paul, is that it's not always a reason that can be picked up on a medical test. Right. I mean, you know, with these pain syndromes, the testing is usually normal. But what, you know, when you do enough tests, so if you do all these scans and lab work, by the nature of the test, you're going to get some false positives, and that can create even more anxiety. So, so what do you mean by that? They, they find something wrong on the MRI? and you go Well, there's, there's some things like incidental findings. So maybe someone has a cyst on an x-ray that you would never know about, but because you got the x-ray, they find something. Or you do a blood test, and the range of blood tests is normal for 95%, but there's 5% of folks who have a blood test that's outside mm-hmm. the range. So when you start doing a lot of testing, you're probably going to end up with some tests that aren't quite perfect. And I'm just echo, we have to be very careful because if the parent is worried about something and we do the classic for brain imaging is UBO, an unidentified bright object, which you find on a lot of normal MRIs. But if the parent's worried about the headache being caused by something and you have that finding, then the parent you know, it that, thinks yeah. that there's something there. And the classic study from 25 years ago was that all children, as you probably went through, with stomach pain that get ultrasounds about 10 to 20 percent of the time they find some incidental finding. The classic one for little girls was some little tiny um, cysts around the ovary which are actually normal for a small girl. But then you'd have to tell the parents we found these little things and so it it keeps the cycle of you can't make the child better and the parent is worried that the child might need surgery. So you have to be very careful about um, every test has limits, but there are some normal children who are slightly outside the yeah, limits. Yeah, and we, we've seen even some brain surgery for chronic oh, pain that may yeah, not be yeah. may not have been necessary. Yeah, so it's a real issue of tests that lead you down a path. Any final comments, Kim, to parents that may be going through what you're going through? And and by the way, Paul, how often does this work? That your therapy. So Kim, first, I'm sorry, I asked two questions. Um, Message, messages for families from you. Sure. Um, as the web, you know, if you Google something, if you will, um, you can find often a lot of blogs or stuff that you might want to stay away from. But there are definitely um, good associations and foundations for chronic pain, specifically for children. And I would suggest getting on them, and they send you free literature. And educate yourself as much as you can. That Great. can only help your family and your child. Good advice. Good advice. And Paul? I- I've had patients who have told me, you know, some teenage girls who said, you know, I'm sick of, of living with this pain. I want to, I want my life back. Uh, I want to get back to my sports and I will do whatever is necessary to get rid of this pain. And, you know, I'll do the physical therapy. I'll go to the counselor and with that kind of positive attitude and they have the family supporting them, you you pretty much know things are probably going to go well. We've had some other kids where they don't want to do the exercises or maybe they do the physical therapy, but they refuse the counselor and they're not kind of a hundred percent bought in. And, and, you know, in, those, in that type of situation, you could predict we, we may not get the best outcome. So it's really dependent on the child's attitude, the family support um, on how things are going to go. Yeah, just to echo, I think it requires, as you've found, um, Kim, it requires both the different modalities, but also the behavioral support 
piece is 100%. really critical in trying to get the child better. And some families will do one, but they won't do that emotional support, which is so important in trying to help the child get better. And I guess one last question for you, Kim, is that, you know, the schools have to be pretty supportive of uh, everybody else around you. You know, this is a not, you know, maybe that's why we give it a name, a diagnose, diagnostic name, so the school knows you're missing a lot of school because of this diagnosis. I hear your school system was mm-hmm. behind you. Is that Yep. Is that is that a common event, or is the, are these missed absences that lead to other problems? I think when I went to the school um, and met with the team, um, they were very you know supportive of the family and, and and flexible. I think this is up for debate. I know a lot of practitioners who have a rule that the child always has to go to school regardless, and I can see where they're coming from. But the reality is, you know, if your child's waking up in pain, screaming, it's it's kind of hard to put him on the school bus or have him sit in a class. So I think we try and just say yes, we agree. The at the end of the day, the goal is we want the child back in school full time, but let's work of a plan to get to that point. My patients have told me, depending on the school, you know, maybe the gym teacher has a poor understanding of what's going on and and is kind of exacerbating the stress or the or the principal, you know, is focused in on the absences and then I've had parents go to court for truancy uh, with these pain really? syndromes. So when we're in a situation where we're trying to reduce stress in the family, and then if the school or the gym teacher or the court isn't understanding, it actually adds stress. So it, it requires a lot of education and conversation. So you have quite a job in the community as well as with the patients. And, and we need help from social work and physical therapy. I mean, it's really, you know, again, it's not the doctor. It's, it's the family. It's the social worker, the physical therapist, the psychologist. You really need a, a team of people to take on this challenge. Well, thanks so much, Kim. This has been great. You're, you're a great mom. Oh, thanks. And Paul and Carl, great discussion. I've learned a whole lot about chronic pain today. Thanks all for being here. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. To our listeners, if you have a question about this topic, or if there's another topic you'd like us to explore in a future pediatric chat, you can send it to us by using the question portal on our webpage. And be sure to view our library for more pediatric chat programs. I'm Dr. Jay Greenspan, and thanks for listening.